So Caroline, you're in Texas right now. Where, where exactly are you and what are you doing there? I'm in Amarillo, Texas, which is a city of about 200,000 people in the Texas panhandle. It's very well known as a stop on Route 66. I am here because this is where a judge is hearing a really, really important case for abortion pills. It's a case that could potentially take mifepristone, uh, that's one of two key abortion medications, totally off the market in the United States. Caroline Kitchener is a national reporter covering abortion. And this past weekend, Caroline and our colleagues at The Post discovered that this hearing was coming this week in Amarillo, Texas. This was not what the U.S. district judge there, Matthew Kaczmarek, wanted. The thing he wanted most was to fly under the radar. In fact, he had waited until the very last minute to post the hearing notice. He didn't want protests or threats for that matter. He didn't want any attention on this super important case. Caroline had a different plan. She dropped everything and raced down there with a couple of our colleagues, including producer Sabby Robinson, who recorded Caroline outside of the courthouse. So here we are in Amarillo. It's really hard to get to if somebody you know, was just finding out, you know, there was no way that I would have been able to get here if I had found out Tuesday night. No way. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's a, it's, it's a couple of flights. You know, he, he wanted this to be really under wraps. Amarillo is a rural conservative place, and it's the surprising setting of a hearing that could reshape abortion pill access for the whole country. Did you capture that Caroline brought hand warmers? Our colleagues waited for hours in the wind and the cold to ensure they'd get spots inside the courtroom. What's going to be really interesting and important to hear today are the judges' questions and the judges' comments, because up until this point, we have no insight. We have not heard him talk about it. We have no insight into what he's thinking about this case. So um, today will give us a few clues. From the newsroom of The Washington Post, this is Post Reports. I'm Chris Velasco, your guest host today. It's Thursday, March 16th. Today, Caroline Kitchener takes us to a court in Texas where a conservative Trump-appointed judge could take a safe, reliable option for medical abortion off the table. And just a heads up, we recorded this conversation Wednesday afternoon after the hearing. So you are at the courthouse. Can you set the scene for us a bit? You know, what did you experience once you arrived? What was that whole thing like? So we got there at 5 a.m. because there, uh, we had heard the day before that there were only a few seats for media, and we wanted to make sure that we got some. I'm, I'm here with my colleague, Perry Stein, and we got in line at 5 a.m. Well, first of all, what, what, what's your name? Martha Sell. And so, Martha, where are you from? Are you from the area? Amarillo. Okay. One of the first people I met there in line to get inside the courthouse was Martha Sell. She's 69 years old, and she told me that she's a retired English teacher. I'm just happy and I'm honored that I had a, had the opportunity to, to be here, to see it, to be a part, to pray for it. She told me that she's been praying every day for the judge 
And she showed up here, gosh, I think even before me, super early. What? How early did you get here this morning? I uh, Probably at 5.30. Wow, okay. And what brought you here at 5.30? I'm concerned about the safety of women and, and, and babies. And what And what do you know about this case? And, and what are you hoping for? I'm hoping that Judge Kaczmarek will rule that the FDA was wrong to allow it to be sold legally. <laughs> It's what just, makes you care so deeply about this issue? Well, well, I'm a Christian, and every person is created in the image of God, and every person is valuable. Going into this day, I actually was expecting there to be a pretty big crowd of pro-choice protesters because, I don't know, right after this hearing was announced, I got like five emails from various groups, I feel like, telling me that they were going to be here. Um and so when I got there in the morning... There are no protesters yet. I know. Which is, like, kind of... I'm actually... Okay, so one thing that has been really surprising to me... Right away, it was pretty clear that the people in line were anti-abortion activists. And it wasn't until, like, right before we went in that I saw even a handful of abortion rights demonstrators rallying together. How many of you guys are here today? Oh, I don't know. I would say it's been a back and forth between 10 and 20, I would say. Sabi Robinson, my colleague, a producer with Post Reports, she was there. And one of those people that was there in the morning was Rachel O'Leary Carmona. She is the national director of the Women's March, and she actually lives in Amarillo. And, you know, Amarillo is a working class, we're a working class city here, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so he's he's trying to bet on the fact that people have jobs to go to and families to take care of and, you know, don't have time to come here and protest, um, you know, hit the miscarriage of democracy and justice that he's perpetrating in that building. Mm-hmm. My colleague, Sabi Robinson, was reporting from outside of the courthouse when I was in the hearing, and I was, gosh, I was in the hearing for, like, over four hours And uh, she spoke with a bunch of protesters who were dressed up in all sorts of ways. Well, I'm dressed as a clown. I'm the ones, I'm the one running around the court making a joke of what's happening here in Amarillo in front of Kazmarek. And Jamie can explain his costume. Dressed up today as a kangaroo. Two of their names were um, Jamie Cruz and Jamie Lyons. And yeah, I'm the judge. I'm just making a mockery of the judge. Because Judge Kaczmarek had said that he didn't want the court to be a circus that day, they wanted to indeed bring the circus. It's really important that people in Amarillo, where it's deeply, deeply red in the surrounding areas, know that there are allies here, that there are lots of people who feel that what's happening is completely wrong. And we want to increase freedoms instead of taking them away. And we want to help women and make sure that women survive pregnancy instead of just allowing the judiciary to continue to make decisions that will literally kill women. Wow. People on both sides of this are clearly really passionate about this debate. But help me understand. So there was this hearing, but the judge didn't want to let any of these people know about it. Can he do that? So we broke this news on Saturday night, me and my colleagues, Perry Stein and Ann Marimo. And basically what we had heard on Friday was that he had scheduled a call with the lawyers that was not on the public docket, which is kind of weird. Like, any time that you talk to the lawyers, you have it on the public docket. And, um, and the reason for that is that all of our court proceedings are public. But... He had this call, and it wasn't on the docket, wasn't on the docket. And then we found out that 
the call was actually to schedule a hearing for Wednesday and that the lawyers were told that they, you know, shouldn't talk about this. It wasn't a gag order, but he asked them to please not talk about this because he was afraid of protests and threats and things. And um, he was only going to put it on the public docket on Tuesday night when the hearing was Wednesday morning. You know, if he had done that, it would have been extremely difficult for people to come, for media to come. Um, even like Texas media, you know, it, it's, it's Amarillo is, you know, five hours from the nearest city in Texas from, uh, from Dallas, Fort Worth. So it was surprising to every lawyer that I spoke to about it. Did the judge or his team offer any kind of justification for this? Well, they, they, they said on the call, apparently, that—well, we, we actually know that this is what they said because um, we've since seen a transcript. But um, they said that they were afraid of threats and violence. So what is this case actually about, and, and what's, what is the argument here? So the case is all about this one drug, mifepristone. Uh, the, um, this anti-abortion group— Alliance Defending Freedom, they are representing four anti-abortion medical organizations and four doctors. And basically, they're arguing that the FDA rushed the process of approving mifepristone when it did approve the drug 22 years ago. And they're saying that it is unsafe and should not be on the market anymore. Now, we know from all of the leading medical associations that that is not true. Mifepristone has been used widely, really widely. I mean, it's now accounts for more than 50% of legal abortions in this country and safely. Um, the, the complication rate is very, very low. And so it's, it's been used widely and safely for many years. So mefepristone has been available for 22 years kind of without much incident, it seems safe according to all the sort of prevailing medical and scientific knowledge. What's your sense of, of how it works and, and why now? Why is it sort of under attack? Well, I think especially since Roe v. Wade was overturned, all eyes have been on abortion pills because abortion pills have totally changed the landscape of like what it means to live in a country without legal abortion everywhere. It's a totally different scene now because of them than it was before 1973. Because it's easy to send abortion pills anywhere and it's easy to take them and they, they are very safe and, you know, relatively easy to manage. So mifepristone is used as part of a two-step medication abortion regimen, um, and that's the regimen that's that's widely used in this country. So there is a first pill that stops the pregnancy from developing, and that is mifepristone. And then about 24 hours later, you take misoprostol, uh, four pills of misoprostol, and that is um, what begins the contractions and actually begins expelling the pregnancy. As for why it's under attack now, I think that the anti-abortion movement is scrambling, and you know, I've talked to a lot of folks on the anti-abortion side that are frustrated that Dobbs didn't mean the end of abortion in all these states that banned it, and that they're frustrated that a lot of people are still figuring out ways to get abortions, and they're figuring out ways to get abortions through abortion pills. So I think that some of these attacks are, are stemming from those frustrations.
And so if Judge Kaczmarek kind of leans the way I think a lot of people expect him to, does that mean this drug is kind of off the table for everyone everywhere, not just in Texas? It really could. There's definitely like a variety of things that could happen. Um, So I can't talk like so definitively about, you know, exactly exactly what would happen if he ruled with the anti-abortion groups, but... Yeah. I mean, he could take Mifepristone off the market and that would be everywhere. Um, he could suspend FDA approval. Now, that would mean that even in New York and California and Illinois, these you know Democrat-led states where abortion rights are explicitly protected, that you wouldn't be able to get Mifepristone anymore. I'm not a legal expert, so I apologies for reeling a little bit here, but this is a judge in one district in Texas with uh, what sounds like a conservative bent, and that doesn't obviously apply to everywhere in the country. And we're talking about, you know, a potential withdrawal of FDA approval of this drug that's been on the market for 22 years. How does one person kind of get to make this decision and have it impact so many people potentially? It's a really good question, and I think is one that is on the minds of, like, every single person that hears about this case because it totally seems wild that that, that one person in one district in one state could do this. Um, but, you know, we're, we're talking about a nationwide injunction. We're talking about kind of a, a an, an emergency injunction, and, and this has become— more and more popular in recent years. We've seen a lot of these injunctions. And the reason that it's nationwide is because the lawsuit is being brought against the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. So that would not just affect people in Texas or not just affect people in this district, but, you know, the the, the FDA approval applies to everywhere, right? Every state. I've had a lot of people come up to me and say, damn, you know, federal judges, they've got a lot of power, and they do. Caroline, help me understand, you know, has this ever happened before? Has a federal judge ever been able to overrule the FDA and cause a drug to be removed from the market? No, and that actually came up in the hearing today. Uh, the judge actually asked um, the, the one of the anti-abortion lawyers, like, hey, basically has this, can you give me analog cases? Can you give me, you know, other examples of this happening before? And the plaintiff lawyer was like, no, I can't. So the FDA, to my understanding, is sort of the gold standard for, for drug approval processes, right? Like you want, ideally, every country in the world to have the same kind of rigorous standards. What are What are the implications for the kind of approval process the FDA has to move through if a judge can say here that the government has to withdraw or suspend the approval of this drug. I mean, I'm not a I'm not an expert on the FDA, but from the people that I've talked to, it seems like the repercussions beyond abortion could be massive. Cuz think about it, like if a single judge can revoke approval of a medication that's been approved for 22 years, what does that mean for other medications? Um, You could see how other groups with other interests would file similar cases to get other drugs off the market. Has the FDA itself said anything about why this medication should continue to be available? So today, um, the government, the, the, the lawyers for the DOJ, they argued for two hours about, you know, why, you know, this lawsuit was baseless and why 
this medication was so important and the repercussions if it's not available anymore. Um, reiterating that it is safe and it is so widely used and, um, you know, the few examples that the anti-abortion side were citing of, you know, various complications and side effects, they were like, look, like, medications have side effects and um, serious complications are extremely rare. You have to weigh those few cases against the just thousands and thousands and thousands of successful and safe and totally, totally fine um, medication abortions that have, have happened in the country in the you know same amount of time. After the break, we dig into more detail about the judge in this case and what we learned from the questions he asked during Wednesday's hearing. We'll be right back. So, Caroline, let's let's take a little time and dig into who this judge is. What do we know about this person? I actually came to Amarillo a month ago by myself. You know, that time there were no reporters here, but I wanted to dig deep into his life because all the coverage of him was pretty one-dimensional. Like, he he was appointed by Trump, and he is known for very, very conservative views, particularly on LGBT issues. And he has also made some statements about Roe v. Wade that that made people think that he was pretty anti-abortion as well. But we didn't really know much beyond that. I wanted to know kind of about his personal history and 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 the perspectives that he brought to this case. And it was fascinating. You know, I I, I ended up um, with my colleague Ann Marimo. We found just, I mean, from childhood, he was raised by two staunchly anti-abortion parents. His mother volunteered at crisis pregnancy centers. And then this part was just so fascinating. Um his sister, who was very close with, got pregnant at age 17, and she went to live, actually, at an anti-abortion maternity home. And rather than having an abortion, she decided to put her baby up for adoption. And she spoke with me and told me how formative that experience was for Judge Kaczmarek and just how deeply he feels this issue on a personal level. Because your sense of it is that this is like a deeply personal thing for Judge Kaczmarek, does it feel in any way like he was kind of chosen by the people behind this lawsuit to handle this case? Like, does this feel deliberate to you? I mean, you can't ever say for sure, for sure, but I think, you know— it's pretty likely. <laughs> um, he's, you know, he's really well known as a, as a conservative, and you know, I had I had multiple lawyers tell me, conservative lawyers tell me that, you know, they go to him and they're not they're not ashamed of that because they're like, look, this is something that both sides do. They know the judges and they know what judges are most likely to issue a ruling that is the ruling that they want. And, you know, I, I, I the, the actual lawyers in this case, the, the, the anti-abortion lawyers in this case, they, they wouldn't say much to me about this, but I did have other kind of conservative lawyers from other similar groups say, yeah, I mean, duh, of course, of course you'd go to judge Kaczmarek. 
Well, so what would happen? Let's let's kind of run this up the chain. If let's say Judge Kaczmarek says, you know what, Mepifristone, no, no one can have it. If someone were to appeal, that would go into an appellate court. But I feel like the appellate court in this case is also pretty conservative, right? Kind exactly. of feels like all the way up the chain, there's there's kind of many points at which the conservative perspective is the one that has to triumph. Well, I think that's another reason that his courtroom is so appealing because to conservative lawyers because, right, exactly, exactly what you said. You know, it goes up the chain to the Fifth Circuit, and that is widely known as one of the, probably the most conservative circuit court in the country, and then it goes to the Supreme Court. And, you know, the Supreme Court just overturned Roe v. Wade. So I think that when people look at the chain— Starting with Judge Kaczmarek, um, you know, if you're a conservative anti-abortion lawyer, you feel pretty optimistic about that. So you spent basically all day at this hearing. What what did you learn from it? What did you take away? I really wasn't sure what to expect, but it was clear by the end that Judge Kaczmarek was really seriously entertaining these claims about the safety, you know, about Mifepristo not being safe, the FDA approval process not kind of being what it should have been. He, you know, asked a lot of questions of the government, really pressing them on that. So I came away feeling like, you know, he was certainly open to the arguments that the anti-abortion lawyers were making. Did anything about today's proceedings surprise you? So one of the things that was discussed a lot in today's hearing was something called the Comstock Act. So this is a really old law that has sort of lain dormant for a very long time. Um, It's from, I think, late 1800s. And it bans the mailing of any drug that would induce an abortion. You know, while Roe was the law of the land, this law you know, was null and void, like it couldn't go anywhere. Um, But the anti-abortion lawyers pulled that law out today, and they talked about it a lot. And what is really striking to me about that is that it wouldn't just apply to mifepristone. It would apply to misoprostol as well. And abortion pills, I mean, the male is just such a, has become such a critical part of how medication abortion works. It's how, I mean, so many people get abortion pills in the mail, um, both legally and illegally. But it, it sort of brought home for me that it's not even just mifepristone that's at stake in this case. It's sort of the whole way in which medication abortion works in this country, how it's transported to people, how people get it. Yeah. And as you're in there, sort of in the courtroom watching all of this sort of be unpacked in front of you, was there there a clear sense of a direction this case was kind of heading towards? You know, like I said, Judge Kaczmarek definitely seemed to be seriously considering the arguments of the anti-abortion groups. So... I don't think there's any way to predict, you know? But he did say, the last thing that he said before the case closed was, I'm going to rule on this as soon as possible. So, we don't know now, but we probably will very soon. Caroline, thanks so much for joining me today. Thank you, Chris, for having me. Caroline Kitchener reports on abortion for The Post. Today's show was produced by Alana Gordon and Sabby Robinson. 
Justice reporter Perry Stein contributed reporting, along with Anne Marimo, Rachel Rubin, and Laurie McGinley. It was mixed by Sean Carter and edited by Maggie Penman. A special thank you to Rena Flores. If you're listening to us in Apple Podcasts, please consider leaving us a review. Hearing from you helps us make the show the best it can be, and it helps other people hear what we're working on, too. I'm Chris Velasco. We'll be back tomorrow with more stories from The Washington Post.